All right, so we are um, back for uh, Thursday, uh, preaching at noon. And if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you go ahead and open them to First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. So we're going to end chapter 4 um, in a good way. Uh, this is one of my favorite texts um, that I've uh, been excited for, waiting for, so it's been good. So we'll read it, then we'll pray, and uh, then we'll start. So First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we'll pray, and then uh, we'll start. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you so much. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. Um, God, I ask that you would um, show us how to suffer well, um, how to endure suffering and persecution um, according to your word. God, we want to suffer in a God-centered way. Uh, we want you to be glorified in how we are harmed and how we think and how we act and how we respond. So God, I ask that your spirit would speak uh, through your word to us, that we would be um, understanding what it says and that you would help us to, to trust your word and to know that it's good. Um, and that you are good and do good in all you do. And so your sons, let me pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, the sermon uh, title uh, is God-Centered Suffering. Um, if you got your Bibles, keep your finger in First Peter. Why don't you go to Acts chapter 7 with me real quick um, to kind of get uh, the ship sailing uh, with some suffering persecution I think will be relevant to what we're talking about. So Acts chapter 7 is about Stephen. Uh, most people will... Your Bible calls it Stephen's speech, um, as a heading perhaps. Um, very familiar passage, very familiar text. Um, so Acts chapter 7, the book of Acts, Jesus has died, he has uh, risen, he's ascended to heaven, he sent the Spirit uh, to be with his people, the apostles, to spread the gospel and get the church uh, going. Um, and the apostles in Acts chapter 6 have just endured suffering, they've been beaten in Acts chapter 5 uh, and chased out and they, re they leave rejoicing. In Acts chapter 6, they realize, okay, we need some more people to help with this ministry. we got to focus on preaching the word and prayer. We need men who are godly, who can, who can handle things that we cannot handle, who can do uh, the work of a deacon, is what we would call it. Um, in Acts chapter 6, this happens. Uh, they, the church chooses seven men. Um, if you look at uh, verse 8 in chapter 6, Stephen is one of them. Uh, it says, Stephen is full of grace and power and full of the Holy Spirit. So he's a godly man who loves the Lord, who's faithful. Um, who the Spirit has um, saved and secured. And then Stephen, Acts chapter 7, preaches a sermon because he's arrested. And he is held up in front of like the council, the Jewish council, the Jewish government, um, and questioned. And his response is all of chapter 7. It's a huge sermon uh, where he starts from Abraham to Jesus. He goes from the Jewish Bill beginnings all the way to how the Christ is the Messiah, how Jesus is the Messiah. And he preaches. And if you look at, look at the response, so Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 54, you have 
Stephen just finishing up what he just said, um, and love was very weighty. Um, and here's the response. Verse 54. Now when they, that's the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin, when, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth in him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said these things, he fell asleep. So Stephen's preaching, he's faithful to the word, and he is killed for it. He's cast out of the city and stoned. I think we overlook stoning a lot. Um, I've been hit before by baseball, you know, in 80 miles an hour when I was playing baseball. Uh, that's not a rock, though. That's a, that's a ball that's softer than a rock. So just imagine that. So Stephen was just stoned and killed uh, for being faithful. And, brothers, we see Stephen not only remained faithful, but God is glorified in his death. If you see in verse 54, uh, three people are mentioned specifically, uh, three divine persons. Uh, full of the Spirit of God, uh, he sees the glory of God. That's Old Testament language for seeing God. Then he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this is extremely God-centered. You see all three persons, and that's how Stephen is sustained and how God is seen in his suffering. So I want us today to see in this text in 1 Peter how we might make much of God, make much of all three persons of God um, in our suffering um, and how we are afflicted and how we endure and how we trust. And so I'm going to steal the language from 1 Peter to give you uh, the three things. I was laying in bed last night about 11.45. My sermon prep was done. I was like, okay, I'm just going to lay in bed and go to sleep. And I almost fell asleep and then about midnight I woke up and I was like, I missed that. So I recorded these three things down so this is definitely a God thing. Uh, so here's the three things that we got. Uh, we're going to see the triune God reflected in one, the suffering and glory of Christ. Uh, two, the spirit of glory and of God. And three, the judgment and sovereignty of God. So one is the suffering and glory of Christ. Two is the spirit of glory and of God. And three is the judgment and sovereignty of God. And these three things are just soaked in, in this text there everywhere. And so we're going to see those. So first I want us to see uh, Peter's going to show us our union with Christ and, and his suffering and in his glory. So look at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, so first thing to look at is the word beloved. Um, we don't really use that term very typically. I think it's a very good term. Uh, it actually means divinely loved ones. So when Peter's calling you beloved, he's saying you are divinely loved loved by God. So he starts off this idea of suffering of Christian pain and persecution with you are divinely loved. God loves you even in your suffering and your hurt and your confusion and your questioning and your pain. Uh, you are divinely particularly loved by God. And that enough to sustain us and it is good news and Peter goes on. Uh, he says this, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. I think it's, I think it's interesting and this is a command. So you're commanded, and when you're suffering, don't be shocked. This is, why am I suffering? This is weird. God, this doesn't make sense, or I'm confused. I think it's okay for us to go, I don't get it, but to say, why am I suffering? This isn't fair. God, come on. He says, do not be surprised. Uh, why does Peter have to explain this? I think we should, we should examine why does he have to remind us. A lot of it, I think, is because um, 
We live in a world of if things are bad, you hide it. So when people are suffering, we put them in a hospital. We can't see them. Uh, we don't deal with them. They're in their own room. Um, when kids are, uh, we have abortions that happen in places that are safe, quote unquote safe, that are hidden. So we don't see it. We don't see the pain. We just, we excuse things. Um, TVs and movies, yeah, they're suffering, but it's always the bad guy. It's never the good guy doing something right. It's always the guy who deserves it. Um, and we see Christianity slowly being scooted to the curb um, out of schools, out of government, ideas, out of stores, businesses, and public displays of uh, preaching the gospel. I think what we've done is we have this idea that suffering is just abnormal for Christians. It shouldn't happen. Uh, it, it's a peculiar thing. And I think it's funny because Peter walked with Jesus on earth, so Peter has heard Jesus' sermons over and over and over. So here's what Jesus said that Peter can think of when he's saying these things. Peter knows what he's saying. Um, and here's some things that Jesus said that Jesus just broadcasted to his disciples over and over. Matthew 5.10 is Jesus speaking, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. So Jesus says, it's going to happen. Be prepared. Uh, John 15.19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Uh, there's one in Mark 13, there's one in Luke 21, there's even more I could cite. The point is, Jesus has made it so clear that as a Christian, it's not if, it's when. When will pain hit you? When will suffering come? When will we be afflicted? When will it be hard? So we're called, do not be surprised. Don't be caught off guard, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. Don't be shocked, don't be, this isn't, this isn't right. Uh, Peter calls it a fiery trial. Um, it's similar language, if you remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, he talks about like a, a refiner's fire. Um, the same context that the Greek word is used in such a way to talk about like a blacksmith, refining things, purifying um, golden dross, purifying things. So when affliction hits a Christian, Peter's saying, believer, you, you are dearly loved by God. And this, this pain, don't be surprised by it when it comes upon you. Don't be surprised, it's, it's purifying. It's, it's meant to, to purify evil things. And oftentimes we're surprised. And I think what happens is, I, I can't give you a specific example. I think we can all picture these people. I know I've heard it many times. Uh, we'll hear of people who are, um, they'll use the phrase, I was once a Christian. And you know they walked the aisle, they legitimately believed they were saved, and something bad happened. Maybe their mom had cancer, or their friend got sick, or their family got divorced, or... Life was hard, something bad happened, they say, well, I used to be a Christian, but something bad happened, and I just kind of stopped following God, and, you know, I, I, I just, died. I, I didn't do that anymore, I left the faith, um, and they're not a Christian anymore, and they're so surprised that suffering happened, they're, they're shocked, well, I, I'm a Christian, that shouldn't be happening to me, God's supposed to be good to me all the time, and they forget, uh, they hear the gospel of a God-sized gap in their hearts that only God can fill, He will be good to you, He'll give you all things you need, um, Maybe it's because we're surprised because the gospel that we often preach or hear preached um, is absolved of anything that's hard. Uh, it's very easy. It's very sugar and sweets and everything nice. It's never trust. It's never sovereignty. It's never judgment. It's never hard things. It's always just it's fluff. Um, and if we look at the, the gospel in Acts, uh, we see Paul do something just completely different. Um, in Acts 14, there's this, this recorded story uh, where Paul uh, was just dragged out of Lystra in stone, just like Stephen. He got stoned, but Paul didn't die. 
Uh, so he took all the rocks, and they thought he was dead, so he left them, and Paul just got up. The next day, uh, he preached the gospel to a different city. He comes back to Lystra, and in, in verse 22, Luke records this. Uh, Strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them in Lystra to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul's basic instruction for a Christian was, you're going to suffer, you're into a lot of pain, but to get the glory, you got to have pain. That's the basic discipleship. So our preaching the gospel, our understanding of Christianity cannot lack suffering. You need to be clear, you're going to suffer. And if we lack it, people will think this isn't fair, they'll be surprised. So if we hold it up front, we say, this is, it's real, it's going to happen, but God's good, He loves you, He's faithful in it, they won't be surprised, we won't be caught off guard. And we shouldn't think that's odd. Um, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, uh, that's, the, that's the reaction that you get if you're a Christian. Uh, it says this, with respect to these things, so all the debauchery, the evil, the things you do, or that you don't do, um, the world is surprised when you don't do these things, so they're like, well, why aren't you sinning like that? You don't, you don't do that? They're shocked. Let that not be our reaction to suffering. Well, this is weird. Why am I suffering for? I'm a Christian. Let that not be our reaction. That's what Peter's trying to say. To test you though something stranger happening again, it's a refining fire, as First Peter chapter one talks about. It's a pointed suffering. It's not random. Um, remember this: the Puritans used to say this. These old dead guys would say, uh, "You aren't suffering for your sins; you're suffering from your sins." So when you suffer, it's not because you are, it's because God's mad at you. You're you're suffering that you might sin less, that you might be freed from your sins. So He's burning away the sins from you, your desires that you long for that are sinful and decaying and evil. Uh, you, God disciplines you for your good that you may cling off of those things and cling to Him. Uh, Thomas Watson said this, that fiery trials make golden Christians. So Christian, when you're tested by fire, you will endure, you'll be, you'll be made holy. God will see and see as beautiful and delight in you and you can trust Him. So now in verse 13, Peter goes to Christ. He goes to the sufferings of Christ. He says this, Verse 13, so do not be surprised, and this is the counter thing, this is the weirdest part of this text. So, beloved, do not be surprised, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So don't be surprised, rejoice, and then rejoice and be glad. This is the most counterculture text, I think, of the Bible, quite frankly. It's one of them. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Be glad when suffering happens. Um, we think sharing the gospel with a coworker is hard, and it, it is hard. I, I don't doubt that. I struggle with it too. It's nerve-wracking. It's scary. But imagine what the apostles did. In Acts chapter five, they are in front of the Sanhedrin, who are and there's people watching behind them. There's a Sanhedrin who is the government, and they say, "Do not share the gospel. Do not talk about him. Do not speak." They just escaped prison, and now they're up front in front of the council again. And the disciples say, well, we're not going to do that. So they get beat. And Acts 5.41 says this. The disciples left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they walked out happy even though they got beat because they shared in Christ's suffering. So believers aren't masochists. They don't say, we love pain. Man, is it great. We love it. Cancer, lay it on. You know, we, we, believers don't like pain, so we're not hoping to get a tab. We don't love it. But we rejoice in it because of our union with Christ who makes more like Him. Uh, we'd rather have Christ's sufferings in the world's delights. That, that's the point. 
uh, we enjoy Christ. Even if that means pain, we love it more than earthly pleasures. That's why we rejoice. Matthew 10, 25, Jesus says this, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So it's privilege to suffer as blood bots guaranteed. It's privilege. Um, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. Uh, so rejoice and be glad. So what's the motivation? Why do you want to do that? Why should we rejoice? It's commanded. But what's, what's Peter's thinking? What's he trying to get us to, to wrap our, our minds around? Um, look at the second part of that verse. That you may rejoice... I'm sorry, and you rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you rejoice, not because pain feels good, but because of what you're prepared to see after the pain. Uh, Romans 8, 17 and 18 says this, And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So how much sweeter is the glory of Christ when we endure with him in his sufferings? Romans 8 again says, For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is not hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we suffer with Christ, knowing that we'll be rewarded with the glory that he got. We get, we get heaven. We get the glory of Christ for eternity. That's, that's our joy. That's why we suffer in order that we might see Christ and people on earth might see the glory of Christ now. Thomas Watson, again, I could quote this man all day, I think. Uh, he says this, God's rod of affliction is a pencil to draw Christ's image more distinctly upon us. So your suffering that you endure by God's appointment is making you more like Christ. It's fitting you for his glory. It's fitting you for his worth, for his treasure, for who he is. The, the root of suffering is bitter, but how sweet is the fruit of glory. That's why we suffer. We wait for that. We hope in that. We trust in that. We must shed these earthly garments for heavenly robes. That's why we suffer. It's for, it's for Christ's glory. So Peter points us in our suffering to the glory of Christ and the sufferings we endure with him. Now that's God-centered suffering. Now you look to Christ. You see what he did for you. You're joined with him in union. You see his glory you're going to receive. And you rejoice and you're glad in that. That's what we hope in. So from there, we see the suffering with Christ and His glory. Now we're going to see the spirit of that glory and of God in our suffering and how that relates to us. Go to verse 14. Peter writes this. This again, this whole chapter, this whole section is just, you know, you, you, don't, you cannot think about these things without just thinking, oh, this is God's word. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Just think about that half section. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're happy. You're, you're to be envied. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost as if the Lord perfumes the insults. Man, those smell good. I love them. You're blessed. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And this is the text that I think we need to really just think about and understand how good God is in this. Oh, it's meant to rip us. Words are painful. They linger. They, they sting. I'm not denying that. What's meant by them for evil, God means them for your good. Uh, this thinking will change the way we understand um, sinners and God's purpose in evil. When we are insulted by the name, or for the name of Christ, we must think of these things. We need to pray that God would just melt this text into our brains, into our heart, into how we think and respond. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, 
What will the believer care of the pitiful chirpings of tiny sparrows when he knows that he's an eagle of a royal race? Like a lion that doesn't care for the barking of a dog. So we know we're in Christ. We are, we've been chosen, adopted, and brought with Christ. What's a chirping sparrow going to do? Just chirps. It's okay. It just, just, just background noise. Um, goody two-shoes, you holy roller, you legalist, you Christian, you freak, whatever they want to say. Um, you're blessed by their evil. It's, it's not meant that way, but God means it for good. It, they're weak. They're sparrows chirping. You're not moved. So why aren't you moved? Why, isn't it, why are you blessed? How, is, how does that work? Look at verse 14 again. Peter gives you the answer. You are blessed because the spirit of glory, that's where I got that reasoning from, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So the God of glory whom you enjoy forever, um, who is bringing you to the eternal glory of Christ in eternity, um, that spirit of glory, that spirit of God, the divine spirit of God rests upon you now. Currently, you have him. He's on you now. So the insults are nothing. The opposite of, it, of an insult is really a blessing. You think about it. So the opposite of condemnation is glory. So what's meant again was meant for evil. God means for good. Um, he delights in you. You are God's portion. Believe it or not, you're what He wants. That's why I got you. So when you're insulted, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You are happy. You're happy in God because you know what's coming, which is namely His Son and His Spirit for eternity and the Father. That's why Stephen in Acts chapter 7 can look full of the Spirit into heaven and see Christ and not be moved by the stones, but trust and be happy and see God and pray for those who are stoning him. God, forgive, forgive their sins. That's why Stephen can do that. Um, if you've read the book, uh, Fox Book of Martyrs, um, it's, it's hard to read. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to get it. Um, I, I'm reading it daily currently, just a couple little pages a day, uh, which is just hard enough to read without just stopping and praying and saying, God, how do they, how do, they do that? Uh, this text is the answer, how they do that. Um, there's a story that they record in about 200 AD, uh, roughly, they say about 200, 200 about 210. Uh, there's a young married girl by the name of Perpetua, I think is how you say it, uh, with a brand new baby. And she's arrested for being a Christian. And they say, hey, uh, we're going to put you in prison. If you recant and just worship this idol, you can get out of prison and get your baby back. Um, she denies. So she loses her baby. She's brand new married. Loses her baby. Stoned in prison. Doesn't worship idols. She later will be killed. And the Fox of Book of Mars records this, that she wrote a letter to her dad saying this, this dungeon to me is but a palace. What do you think? It's weird. You're in prison. You have your baby. You don't have anybody. And you're going to get killed. Why could you say that? I think because this verse would argue, this is why. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Those chains are almost like covered in gold. It's like a palace. Man, I'm more home here than ever happened. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So in suffering, in affliction, in pain, um, the spirit of God rests upon you. So then, should we just chase after suffering? Should we, should we, just, should we just say, hey, if I suffer... Worst case, it's meant for my good. Should we chase? Should we be a martyr? Can we chase after it? I think Peter sees that coming. If you look at verse 15. I think he knows what you're going to say. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. So he's saying, Look, don't, don't, don't chase martyrdom. Okay? It's going to happen to you. It's, it's, it's going to come. Don't seek after sin so God can bless you in it. That's not, that's not the point. Suffering will come your way. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 20, he said this uh, before, um, something similar. 
He says, For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if you do good and suffer and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So there's, there's no glory in suffering for doing something wrong. It's not, that's not godly. That's, that's sinful. That's what criminals do. That's not what Christians do. Uh, evil will befall you whether you seek for it or not. So don't seek for it. Be faithful to God. Trust Him. Do good and evil will befall you. Uh, just give it time. So in verse 16, we read this. This is, this is Peter's next, next section in this. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So this is the effect, or this is the fruit of having the spirit of glory and of God upon you. Um, you're not ashamed. You delight in God and who he is and what he's doing. Um, it's worth noting, too, if you look, uh, Peter used the word Christian, uh, verse 16. You see that? If anyone suffered as a Christian. Um, the word Christian is actually only in the Bible three times. Um, here, and it's used twice in Acts, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, and chapter 26, verse 28. And if you look at the context of those, it's not really a good context. It's not like Peter saying, hey, Christians, or Paul calling his homeboys Christians. Um, most commentators actually believe that it was coined by the heathens, they call them, or just by the sinners. Not really as something good, but as like a slang term, like, oh, those Christians. So it's not a good word to be, uh, that Peter thought of. It's really kind of a slang term as a, a slant at Christians. Because the New Testament writers always called Christians brothers or sisters or loved ones. So it's not really a Christian term, but we've adopted that. But the point is, if you suffer as a Christian, Peter says, own it. As a Christian, if you suffer as a Christian, own that suffering. That is in Christ, that is for his sake and for God's glory and you've been called to do that endure trust Christ in it and oftentimes we we bring shame upon Christ by um, our own lives a lot of people this is common um, they will say they're a Christian but their lives are contradictory of it um, so their lives will not just that they sin sometimes like we do but there's a perpetual desire to sin it's continuing it keeps happening there's no believing faith there's just sin or those who blaspheme the name of God by using God as a means to an end to get wealth or credit or fame or what have you. Peter's saying that's, that's not how you suffer as a Christian. You get attacked. Don't bring shame. Don't, be, don't, be, don't bring shame. Don't be ashamed when it hits you. So Peter says this. You are identified with Christ. His suffering, his life, his affections, his cross, his death, his resurrection, and his God. That's, how, that's who you are identified with. I think we can kind of understand this a little more. Um, imagine if your dad was like LeBron James or Paul McCartney or if, you're, or if your mom was J.K. Rowling who wrote Harry Potter, I believe, or if your mom was Angelina Jolie. You'd be proud. You'd be like, yeah, my mom wrote those books. My dad is the MVP this year or whatever. You would never be ashamed. If someone would make fun of you, you would say, you seen what I have? Have you seen the house my parents got? Have you seen, seen that? Have you seen the wealth we have? If you're insulted, you'd be proud. I mean, I would name drop like crazy. Yeah, my dad's uh, Paul McCartney. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I would never, I'd never be ashamed. Beloved, how much more should we not be ashamed of Christ? You are identified with the God and man of the universe. The, the king of everything. The one who, by the word of his power, Hebrews says, he upholds every molecule in the universe. Everything. Just by speaking. It, just, it, does, what he, it does what he says. He tells storms to stop and they go, okay, sorry. Jesus is the one who 
took the wrath of God and lived. He survived. He died and lived. We're identified with him. So how could we be ashamed when we're nailed and insulted being a Christian? So we should not be ashamed to speak of his gospel, of his grace, of his power, of his love, of his wrath, his cross. Instead, Peter says, let him glorify God in that name. So we endure because we were blessed by insults. We are resting in the person of Christ by his spirit. We are awaiting the guaranteed glory deposited in us. So I think just a, a practical question, how do, how do you do that? What, what would be a way, okay, if I'm afflicted for being a Christian, if I'm insulted or wronged or persecuted, how can I practically say, um, God be glorified in this? So what's, I think Peter gives you some simple ways in previous uh, texts. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Don't repay evil for evil, repay good for evil. God's good in that. looks really good. Uh, Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. So when you're wronged, pray for them. God's great. And 1 Peter 2, 19 uh, has to do with trusting God's providence in it. So you're saying, God, I'm not mad. I just, I'm, this hurts, but I trust you. God's great in those things. So preach the gospel to those who afflict you. Forgive those who wronged you. Um, if it's your coworker and they need to switch shifts because they can't make work, switch them shifts. That's how you glorify God in it. You, you do good when they don't deserve it. So God's glorified by the spirit of glory resting upon you as you endure insults for, the, for his namesake. Finally, Peter points us to the finality and security of all these things. So in suffering, we're with Christ and with his glory. We have the spirit of that glory and of God resting upon us currently. Um, but now I think Peter's going to point us to, to God, to the Father, to the God of all this, to what's going on. Um, he's going to point us to the judgment and the sovereignty of God in this. So look at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, will be the outcome of those, or for those, I'm sorry, who do not obey the gospel of God. So for believers, we, we face a kind of judgment, but not judgment. So we get, we get disciplined. Um, God's um, anger is averted in the cross. We get fatherly disciplined. So all the suffering we endure that comes from the hand of God, it comes from a father, not a judge. So there's, there's a difference. Because we're, we're in Christ, we're his children, we're not his enemies anymore, so there's a difference. Um, we, we receive hardships, kind of like a doctor gives nasty medicine. It just tastes gross, you don't like it but it cures the disease. So that's how we need to understand our suffering. Um, again, just like a refiner's fire, it, its job is to first um, clean the gold, then after it burns the dross. So first the good stuff's perfected, the bad stuff is burned away with. Um, that's what Peter's saying. This judgment that's coming, it starts with us. First, we are disciplined, we are, we are cut, we are molded, we are shaped, we are, we are burned, just temporarily. And after that, the judgment of God rests on those who don't know Christ. And that's not, for, that's not for shaping, that's for destruction. That's not for molding, that's for death. And the Puritans, again, I, I think I referenced them like four times today. They would say this, we merely get a teaspoon of God's discipline. How much more is the seed of affliction for those who don't know him? The seed, we get a teaspoon, they get a seed of it. So unbelievers get some good now and then some bad every now and then. They get some joy now and some affliction now. Some joy now, some sorrow now. Um, but what awaits them is an eternity of affliction, of pain, of 
judgment of wrath. Psalm 75, 8 says this. It speaks of God's cup of wrath being mixed. It says that the wicked will drink it down to the dregs, or kind of like the, if you drink coffee, there's coffee grounds in the very bottom, down to, down to the grounds, down to the, the last drop. Friends, our, our, our suffering here is lasting. It just lasts. It's not everlasting. It's done. It's done when we die. But the unbelievers, that's not how it is for them. It lasts here, then it's everlasting after the tie. But we can say, maybe not now, because we, we God help us to remember to trust this Lord, but especially soon we will say what the saints say in Revelation 6.10. They say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So God's judgments are good. They're not unjust. They're not wrong or uncalculated. They're good. It's good wrath. It's calculated wrath. It's not wrong. He justly takes care of those who do evil and those who are evildoers. But now we must weep for them, that God would save them, that he would save them from wrath, that he would spare them as he spared us. Verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So think of the Christian life. Um, we're scarcely saved, what Peter's saying. Like, well, what does that mean? Um, I want to read you a couple lines of um, a guy named John Gill, who just, just words it great. I don't want to take his credit, even though he's dead, doesn't know that. But I want to tell you what he says. Now, he says this, For the saint, their salvation is certain and complete. It's been finished by Christ. Yet their enjoyment of it is attended with many things, such as corruptions of their nature, wars within their members against the law of their souls and minds, temptations by Satan who seeks to devour them, the wrestlings of the flesh and the powers of the world which are above and beyond their match, various afflictions and persecutions, many tribulations which make their way to eternal life a hard, narrow way, yet they enter. So it's hard. Christian life is hard. It's hard. It's not easy. It's not an easy side. Hey, I'll just walk right in. It's hard. And if we, in that sense, barely make it, how much more for those who don't know Christ? No, no chance. They're gone. Jesus says this in Luke 13, strive to enter. The word is agonize. It's agonizing. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He says in Matthew 7 that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if we, the righteous, who've been saved by God's grace, who's opened our eyes to see and behold His goodness and His love and His kindness and His mercy, we should fear for those who hate Him and rebel against Him. Fear the Lord and fear for their lives that God might save them. and Glorify God in these things that they might see God's glory now rather than fear it in eternity to come. Um, and here, here's, here's the judgment that we trust. So again, this is God's judgment and His sovereignty, but God's judgment says this, Revelation 6, so again, 15 through 17 says this. So when we're wronged, it's hard. And we go, man, God's not fair. That guy is evil. He's hurting my family, hurting us, or hurting my friends, or whatever. Um, here's, what, here's what will happen. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the, of him, the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? 
So his wrath of God is huge. It's big. It's omnipotent. It's going to flood the earth. But it's good. It's not unjust. It's not wrong. God keeps, he fiercely protects his people. He loves us. He keeps record of all the wrongs. He hates it. He will not let anything go. Unless his son pays for it, he will deal with it. So we trust him. So when we're wrong, we say, God, your judgments are good. I trust you. I know that you're going to handle it. I trust you. So we have both sides of the view there. We weep, but we trust. We weep, but we trust of God's judgment. Verse 19, Peter closes it out by saying this. Therefore, so all this is there for this, for this verse. This is the ending verse. All that is for this part. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So here's the therefore Peter gives about. I have about three things that he kind of just names off right here uh, for God's sovereignty in this, and then we'll close. First uh, Peter three nineteen says almost the exact same thing. It's very close to the wording. I'm sorry, verse uh, three seventeen. My bad. First uh, Peter three seventeen says this: For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So kind of same vocabulary, same wording, um, that you will suffer according to God's will. It's not random. It's not God's not catching up with you, trying to figure out what's going on. He's not an ambulance. God's there. Okay? So God wills your suffering for good. He wills all the evil and wields it all for your good. That's how big he is. Doesn't stop him. He uses it for good. Um, he, he does it sinlessly. That's, that's the thing that we, we just need to stay in awe of. Uh, two verses. Proverbs 16, 4 says this, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So evil men who rebel and hate Christians... God's plans aren't thwarted with them. They're fulfilling God's purposes, even in their evil. That's how huge our God is. They fulfill His desire even when they hate Him. That big God. That's your sovereign God. Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to His hand, or stay His hand, or say to Him, What have you done? It's all people, all nations, all demons. Insert thing here. They cannot stop God's hand, or His purposes, or His kindness, or His wrath, or His sovereignty. God works all things well, and we trust in that. Second thing, he says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. So here's, here's what you do. You entrust your soul, entrust their soul to a faithful creator. So I think Peter used the word faithful and creator for, for good measure. Faithful because when suffering happens, we doubt God, I know this is don't be surprised, but I'm shocked. I don't, I, I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm scared. God's faithful. He's your faithful creator. Um, the Bible says that he's faithful and cannot deny himself. He won't, he won't err, he won't lie to you. He's good to you. He's our Lord, he's our king, he's our judge, he's our defender, he's our warrior, and he's our creator. And all things are in his hands. Uh, Thomas Watson again says this, if God sees it good to strike with one hand, he will support us with the other. That's how faithful he is. He strikes you, yet he upholds you. That's how good he is. He's sovereign even in it. He's trustworthy and he's good. So entrust your soul, deposit it, give it, give it up, give it over to a faithful creator. The last part, while doing good. So lastly, while, while we suffer, we bless. When we are cursed, we love. When we are threatened, we endure. When we are hated, we serve. And God's greatly magnified in how we suffer. So I think we can see, 
our union with Christ, how we suffer, we're counted worthy to suffer for Christ and His suffering, so we get His glory. And we get the spirit of that glory on us now to prepare us and to hold us until that day that we might enjoy Him. And now we sit under God's faithful and sovereign reign as creator, judge, and redeemer. We trust that He'll make all things well by His gospel and by His Son. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, you are our faithful creator. You are sovereign. You are the judge. You see all things. You know all things. You are over what's going on. God, we hope that you would entrust these things to our souls, melt them into our brains, that we would not be surprised, but we would rejoice and trust you. God, help us. Just help us. We, this text is just, it's good, but it's hard. And we need you. We need you to help us. God, we, we know that your hand is good, that you are a father who cares for his people. We thank you for that. Help us to trust you with the souls of those who don't obey your gospel and that you would give us words to speak and to trust your hand. We thank you for your son who's taken our wrath and has given us his life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.